Hello there. Uh, welcome to the very first episode of Wait, Are These Guys Friends? Uh, my name is Mike. I'm here with Randy. Say hello, Randy. I would like you to note that you waved because we are watching each other on a webcam. This is an audio format. Uh, yeah, so I figured that, you know, the noise of my hand, you know, against the wind, I figured would be picked up by the sensitive audio equipment. Which is important to note that this is the best way to start this because the intro, you may think, what is the title of this? What does this mean? Well, it's because, well, uh, there's a few things. One, we used to be coworkers. Uh, we talk a lot about pop culture. We still text. But also, we poke at each other a lot to the point where I think sometimes, even amongst ourselves, we think, are we friends? Is everything okay here? Are we all right? I mean, it really is... Is adult friendship adult friendship if you're not simply trying to tear each other down at all times? That's really the, the oh, wait, is that, that's not adult friendship. That's being a terrible person. I have regrets. <laughs> is it? I don't know if it's a little um, bit of both, though. I mean, because isn't, isn't it more fun? I, there is nothing, I think, between you and I that, that's more entertaining than sort of not 100% sure what the answer is going to be to what we put forward. And so to put that on, put each other on, on alert, to be like, I'm going to say something that is completely out of the blue, and perhaps it's going to be mean, and perhaps not. And uh, generally, too, I think we find when even when it's mean, it's not really mean. It could be interpreted as such, but yeah. interpreted isn't a word. Interpreted is a better word. I'm proud of you for coining a new word. Let's move on to pop culture, which is really what I want to talk about with you. The the meat and bones of this is uh, meat and bones. I use that right? Is that the right terminology? Meat and bones. I feel like I used that wrong just now. That's what makes up. Skin and bones? Skin and bones? Organ, oh, organs God. and I bones, maybe? Organ, the organ meat of this podcast is pop culture. The organ meat of what this is going to be, the delicious human organ meat that we've all sampled in our lives. Don't say you haven't. Don't say you haven't eaten All the beans in a nice Chianti. Moving on to the, I don't know, giant pulsating organ sack of pop culture, which, boy, I hope that stays a segment. That's our new segment header, giant organ, uh, pulsating organ sack of pop culture. Um, I tasked Randy, who has always been one of my favorite people to talk to about music, to bring me a record, bring me an album. I don't know if I've heard it or not. And tell me, why do you love it? And why should I listen to it? Why should other people listen to it? Like, I'm going to have questions. I'm going to push back probably. But give me your, give me the dissertation. What's the album? What's the artist? Give me, give me the why. So I'm starting with, and I had a couple options just in case one is already, uh, we, we overlap pretty closely in age. So I'm guessing some of our listening styles would, would mirror one another just based on what was popular and what was hitting radio. If we want to go far that far back or even the early days of MP3 and any, any sort of digital music. So, but uh, I'm, I'm sticking with, uh, with the 2001's, uh, the strokes is this it like, and I don't know if you're familiar with the, I'm sure last night you're familiar with the single. That was one of the ones that was their big, big, big hit. But uh, there's a lot yeah. of other ones on this one specifically. It speaks to a time too uh, that it just, it takes me back. Anytime I hear a multitude of songs from this album, it takes me back to a certain time. I think that's what cool music does. You you feel it because you hear it and you're instantly transported back to certain things. And there's, there's tons of music, tons of songs on this album that does that for me. So my question is, what about this album? And oh, by the way, you're absolutely right. Last Night was a banger of a song. That was the year I graduated high school was 2001. Uh, it's because uh, I'm an old now. It is what it is. But I remember that song, and that song was Welcome. fantastic. I could not tell you I ever heard anything else from them. 
um, I looked up, I'm always a fan of, I look up, what songs do I have on my phone from an artist if somebody mentions it? And I looked up The Strokes, and I don't have anything from The Strokes. I have two songs from Stroke 9. That is a wildly different uh, thing. Um, so my question to you. I, I don't know the other one other than Little Black Backpack, uh, but I'm curious to find out what it if, is. <laughs> if I told you it was in the movie Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, would that do anything for you? It would not help. Uh, I, I'm sure I saw it and heard it, but it, it's been a minute. If I ask you the question, how many people want to kick some ass, would that mean? And do you remember that song? I'm not going to sing it here for you. I'm mm. that close. I was about to. No, how many but, people want to kick some ass? Done, to, 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 all right, good. See, I derailed your segment to talk about so. Stroke Nine. And this has been the Stroke <laughs> Nine segment. Fuck you, Randy. We're moving on to. Oh, wait. No, okay. So, my genuine question about this album. My genuine question about the the Strokes album and what was it called again? The full album. Is this it? Is this it? I remember last night. Great song. Set the nostalgia aside. Put the nostalgia to the corner. Why do I need to listen to this album? So this was yeah. It it I, it's it's hard to put. I want to say nostalgia aside, to, just to put the time frame of what the, was coming through in the rock scene. And this kind of garage sound. I mean, you're you're a Michigan guy, so it's you know Jack White becoming kind of that resurgent thing in the late with the White Stripes in the late '90s, and this had this I can't even describe a kind of reverb guitar. Like it just sounded stripped down. Like it was something that you could hear most of these songs sitting around with your buddies in your dorm room or in your you know at your house or whatever. But then you would also hear it out at a, a bar or some sort of event and it still got the same kind of visceral reaction from people that just it was really catchy it really got people into the vibe of that kind of rock and roll and, and just rock we were it's at that time frame rock was really kind of this was it rock rap was it new metal was it there was this all of this that was kind of permeating the genre and even pop punk there too as well and you and i have a long documented history of our love of pop punk but it just it's uh it, there there are so many songs from here that do a lot of the same things but somehow are different songs and still get the same vibe which is really really cool to listen to an entire album and not get tired of songs that there's every once in a while there you know there's a song called Sunday and Last Night and a, a couple of them all sound sort of similar and so you're listening to it and you're like oh which one is this but you're still vibing with it and it's that it's really cool like start to finish vibe for that whole album so that's cool because so my thought was by the way I'd like to note that when I had said nostalgia, you explained that perfectly, which, again, I don't like giving you a compliment. I don't like being nice to this. <sighs> I, But you Nor should you, you perfectly separated what I was meaning. I wanted you to set, set aside, let's say, your personal feelings. Nostalgia absolutely will play a factor into an album that is 22, 23 years old. That, that's just part mm -hmm. of talking about the era, talking about the music, how it's being performed. I wanted your, you know, your your scientific take, for lack of a better term. And I feel like you handled that very well. Sure. If I was to listen to one song off the album that isn't Last Night, is it one of the ones you mentioned there, or is it a different song? It's probably, I would call, I would say Hard to Explain is, is the name of the song. And it's just, it's really fun. It, it runs together. It has a little bit of stop and start. There's a part in the song, and it's it's sort of a trick that a few other songs have done where it completely stops and you're like wait is that it and then it starts up again and it's it's just a really cool like get you back into it 
Um, and it, and the way that the song ends actually is just as abrupt <laughs> as that hit in the middle. But it, it's called Hard to Explain, and I would say that that that's the other one that's that's up there. There are a few other ones that got some mainstream radio play, and and that people would definitely recognize. But uh, I love Hard to Explain from that. Okay, that that's album. Good to know. Now I, I had a question when you were talking about how some of the songs maybe you could be like, is this this one or is that? Are they so similar where they bleed into each other, or you're just I think of a band like 311, right? I saw 311 in concert, mm -hmm. and in my mind, before the concert, I thought, I really like 311. I like that song or two. Then I went to the concert, and I listened to 311, and I thought, I think I fucking hate 311, because <laughs> every one of these songs sounds identical. I, every one of those 311 songs could have been any one of those other 311 songs. Is it that vibe, or is it more differentiated? There's just a, I don't know, a tone, a quality. What are you thinking here? I would say, mercifully, it's only two songs that sound sort of sound the same on this particular album. So the they, the other ones, it, you definitely know you're hearing a Stroke song when you hear it. Now that's not unique to, right. um, that's unique to a lot of bands, right. right? You know you're hearing, I'm not whatever Rolling Stones or the Beatles. I'm not saying that they're there them. And you definitely know you're they, having it's, a stroke if you smell toast, is what they also say. I believe. Thank yes, you. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. And your left left arm, right arm. I forget. And that was that. I think it's attack, heart attack. But, but you could have both. Anyway, okay. this is important medical advice with Randy and Mike. What were we talking about? The album. Anyway. <laughs> Indeed. So. Um. Uh, the and if you had your ninth stroke, I don't know if we go back to you know stroke like, with your little black back. No, yeah, yes, stroke matter. nine. But, stroke uh, nine. The, there it is. The, <laughs> yes, that's and that's probably what they were talking about, right? That's what they named their band nine. after. I'm guessing they so. are actually <laughs> they have been through 15 lead singers. Each one has died of a stroke. <laughs> it is really. I take that back. Twelve of them died of the strokes. Three of them are living with just debilitating uh, injuries. Uh, slurs. They actually tried to have one guy still sing the songs, but you know, I, I mean, there were slurs. Thinking about Little Black Backpack, which is the only song that I have any, uh, and except for Who's Gonna Kick Some Ass or whatever you just said, how many people are gonna kick some ass, I'm, whatever it's called. I'm, I'm, telling well, I'm you, gonna rename you are it. Gonna know it you are gonna know it when you hear that song. And if you don't, I just introduced you to it's, a song from 2001 that I'm shocked you don't know. And I'm really almost proud of myself. Wow. Yeah. That's that's very impressive. I, so, I, well, I, I'm thinking, were they the most. I, I wouldn't say their enunciation was crazy in the songs that I've heard, so maybe, uh, I don't know, this has gone a little bit off hands. <laughs> it has, and I derailed you with a stroke. You were getting into a really nice breakdown of why you enjoy an album, and I was like, let me make a joke about having a stroke, which is also the most old man mm. joke you could make about a band called The Strokes, and I, I regret not. So, yeah. It's and it, my initial tie back to this, and I had meant to get in this one when, when I started, was that Julian Casablanca is, is, no, is the lead singer of The Strokes, and he uh, famously, I don't know if it, the one of the best SNL uh, Christmas bits that I've ever seen is the I Wish It Was Christmas Today uh, with Jimmy Fallon, Chris Kattan, uh, Tracy Morgan, and Horatio Sands, I guess. And um, a, and I'm guessing Jimmy Fallon wrote that. I, I didn't do the research on that well, specifically. Thanks for coming but, to play. Um, me, I'll look it up while you talk. There we go. No, I'll look it up while you talk. <laughs> Please keep going. Nice. But I know, and at some point, the, the, that got that was just a thing that they would play from time to time on the best of Christmas 
specials. And then once on Jimmy Fallon's show, Horatio Sands came back and Julian Casablancas came out and was singing with him because I don't know if the Strokes were the musical guests that night or something like that. But now um, Julian Casablancas used, and they called it Christmas Treat now. That's the name of that song. And he put it on his solo album. So oh, it, wow. that was my kind of tie-in to be like, all right, Christmas. And, uh, yeah. That made you think of it. Good times. You are so, yeah. correct. It was according to the internet, which is always true and never makes up anything. It is always yeah, accurate. Always. It was co-written by Fallon and Sands, according to my curse, cursory okay. Google. Makes sense. Since they are the two main ones to perform it, whereas Catan does nothing but turn his head to the side and Tracy which, Morgan does nothing but dance which and Which I like so. seeing Catan <laughs> in that from the sense that he always, and I feel like you see interviews with him, he's always sort of been an SNL odd man out, where he had a lot of popular mm -hmm. characters, and he was very big on the show while he was on the show. Like, I feel like he was a popular cast member while on the show. But if you think of the legacy of SNL, I don't think anyone's going to say Chris Kattan. And, and yeah. which is crazy, because he was in that Will Ferrell era with, I mean, Roxbury guys. He was a popular guy with a lot of recurring characters. Sure. Uh, Mango, I listen. I realized I was 15 at the time that Mango was popular, but Mango <laughs> was genuinely yeah. a huge character on SNL at one point. Catan had a his shot. It, the man made Corky Romano. It was terrible, but he got his movie. He had his shot, right? They only gave him that because he was yeah. kind of good on SNL. I, you're forgetting as the main antagonist and undercover brother as well. So it's uh Oh my God. I or maybe you were not. No, no, no. I, I did forget he was the main Because I have not watched that movie in so long. But I remember it being, that's with Eddie Griffin, right? Uh, it was, Eddie Griffin yep. was undercover that's brother? Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Which, you know, if this whole thing continues, maybe that becomes a rewatch for us at some point. We talk at length yeah, right. about <laughs> undercover brother. Because if there's something the people want, it's two uh, white guys in their 40s. Talk Towards, I think. <laughs> yes. Uh, any other final thoughts on the album? Any other thoughts in general on the album? If you Maybe it wasn't final. You're like, bitch, I got 15 more minutes. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a couple more things as I was looking it up just to kind of, you know, I, I re-listened to it again this week just to like listen to it. And it still had the same kind of context. It's nice. It's tight. It's like 36, 37 minutes, so it goes quick. And one of the things that I, I thought was the most amusing about it is in just in my research looking it up and kind of figuring out uh, what's more about this album that I didn't know is that this one, they won best. This didn't win a Grammy or anything like that. They were nominated for anything for, for Grammys, but they won a Brit, which apparently is the British Grammys, which I had no idea, for best international newcomer, which is just comical to think of an American band as best international newcomer. So, but go Strokes. All right. So, the other topic, and I am deathly curious about how this will go. Because I feel like you and I have a common frame of reference often on music. But if there's something that I constantly want to talk about, and I never have the outlet to talk about it, it's often comic books. And I realize comic books are not exactly underground anymore, but the ability for me to be able to just openly rant, talk, expound on comic books isn't a thing in my everyday life. So I have a topic that is in my mind deeper than you're going to think it is off that off top. Like, I hope we can get into this. Why, Randy, why has there never been a good rendition of Robin, as in Batman and Robin, on the screen? We've gotten it in comic books, obviously. We've gotten it on cartoons. Why can they not do a cinematic live-action Robin? And if you give me reasons why you say they can't, I'll tell you why you're wrong. 
You don't have oh, to give okay. me those reasons. I'm saying if that's what you're about to do, because I will fucking tell you you're wrong, and I'm ready really? for it. Or you agree so with it, me and you're a genius. Am I, yeah, no, wait. Am I arguing that there has been no, a you good representation? Because there, there has not. But um, no, no, there hasn't. No, you, you. I'm saying that there could be, and I. this is not an argument to the thing. You don't have to be like point-counterpoint. Um, I'm just saying that if you are about to be like, well, it's impossible, I'm about to be like, absolutely not. Sure. I have no frame of reference for the 40s silent film era. I have seen the costumes and stills. They look bad, but it's the 40s. I'm going to let that ride. Okay. Then I believe your next real adaptation is Burt Ward, 1965 action Batman. It is what it is. It is great for what it is, but considering the damage it did to comics as a whole, the fact that even... What, 40 to 50 years later, bam, pow, holy, whatever, still permeates things just a hair among people who don't pay attention to comic books. And then you got Chris O'Donnell, who is, uh, I don't know what he's supposed to be, but does Bruce Wayne adopt a 42-year-old man in that movie? Is that <laughs> what happens? Because... Chris O'Donnell comes to live. I keep calling him Chris O'Donnell. He is Dick Grayson. He's the Dick Grayson Robin. But I don't like saying that. Chris O'Donnell yeah. comes to live with Bruce Wayne. He's in an acrobatic family. That's fine. That's accurate. But he's clearly in his at least 20s, right? At sure. least mid-20s. And then his parents die, and Bruce is like, you're going to come live with me. And he can't be like, I'm a grown man. I'm a grown. Are you offering me a room to rent? He's like, no, bro. You're going to come live with me. I mean, anytime I a reclusive billionaire... I know, but anytime a reclusive billionaire offers you the opportunity to come live at his giant, spacious manor with potential hidden rooms, I mean, you got to do it, right? Okay, so here's my question before we get back into the proper topic. With what you're saying, if Chris O'Donnell Robin got that same offer, everything you're saying is exactly what we're saying, everything's accurate, does he think there is the unwritten rule of sex is going to be involved. Is that why he is so anxious to leave? Because he needs a place to go, but he just accepted this billionaire's mysterious offer to live in his home, and he's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I'm gonna do my ninja laundry because he flips this laundry around. Like, it's a, it's a different movie. Fair. Okay, so before I dive into why Robin can work, here is my question. Do you remember, I left one off, do you remember the last live-action cinematic interpretation of Robin? Because Joseph Gordon-Levitt was technically going to be... If you look at the end of that movie, they're like trying to give a wink and a nod of, hey, this is Robin, wink. But he's not Dick Grayson. He's some random other character. And they go, hey, by the way, you should use your birth name of Robin. And he's like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, wink to the audience. What? Are you saying that if he was a crime fighter, he'd be using his live legal name? Like his birth name to go fight crime? And then also, he's not Dick Grayson becoming Robin or even a Robin that we've heard of. He's random fucking guy whose middle name is Robin that Bruce knew for a week. And left him all his shit. It was like, I think he's going to be okay because he's an orphan. Like, what? Hmm. No, it's the worst, <laughs> stupidest cinematic interpretation of Robin that that if they'd ever thought about bringing Robin to the screen properly, killed it completely. With that history, 
Do you think there can still be a Robin brought to the screen properly? The answer is yes, but give me your thoughts. Sure. it's And I think they have to dive more into, and I'm not as, uh, like, as into comic book lore left, right, not upside down. So if I'm speaking uh, incorrectly, please feel free to uh, to jump in. But I, I think it has to be Nightwing, right? Like, there has mm-hmm. to they have to explore that component of it. And because it, it just the psychic thing is kind of played out, I, I don't, and and just it's it, it kind of tired to be like he's just there to, it, our interpretation of Robin from cinematic purpose is just to sit there and, eat, like you said, it's either Burt Ward, <laughs> or someone who's just kind of there. I I think that part of it is because I do think you're right that Nightwing would be amazing because, I. When Ben Affleck got cast as Batman, I was really optimistic, believe it or not, because I thought we were finally going to get what I've always wanted in a Batman movie, which is it's not a fucking origin. It is not the first two years of his career. Part of the reason to me is the Dark Knight works so well, set everything else aside from that movie, he's already Batman and he's not like worrying about having to quit. He's just Batman. It's a Batman movie with Batman doing Batman things. And it works for that reason. I wanted Ben Affleck to be that middle career, top of his game Batman. He could have already had a Robin who became Nightwing. And you could explore some of those relationship dynamics. They could talk about a falling out that happened off screen. There's a lot of areas that that could have taken. Obviously, they did none of that. But (laughs) but there is a lot of, you know, workspace in there and also frankly i feel like if you my my pitch for still get a kid robin is you can do kid robin you can't do the shorts obviously you don't want the 60s costume do the perfect robin costume of all time is honestly the one they used in batman forever minus the nipples you give them the (laughs) you give them the green long pants you do that that's a good that's the tim drake costume from the 90s it's a damn good costume did you ever watch batman the animated series I did, yeah. Do you remember? So the they won their first Emmy for the two-parter that was Robin's origin. And if you literally just bring that to live action, you have the perfect template for the origin story that can work within a Batman movie. It could be <laughs> the focus of a movie. Batman is Batman. These terrible things happen. And this young child is going on, is growing up with this path of anger. And Batman doesn't know how to deal with kids. Batman is seeing himself paralleled, and the only way he can think to help this kid is to make the worst, most irresponsible decision possible and be like, I should bring him out with me. I should bring him out with me. (laughs) And somehow that helps them heal. And I feel like it's all about, this is not an original take in movie making, it's all about the emotional arc. If you can nail the emotional arc, in any of these superhero movies, you can take the stupidest, most ridiculous element and make it viable. And that's why Robin is still viable to me. If you had, you could build a series of movies going off then on him being Robin, on them falling out, on him becoming someone else, on a new Robin coming in. Because in the comics, there's been fucking six of them. And mm-hmm. actually, hang on, I want to be accurate about that. Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, uh, Stephanie Brown... Damian Wayne. I feel like I'm forgetting a sixth one that everyone's going to yell at me for, but I'm going to canonically go five Robins. So there you go. Um, Nice. It's possible. When I lay those out, 
as someone who is not a comic book novice, what's your reaction? Is it you're crazy or do you see a path ahead where that could actually work? I mean, I think that even just beyond it, because we've seen it right already from the Marvel template, if you want to call it that, right? I mean, DC has, I think, struggled. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, in having, you know, one step forward and four steps back, and, and it seems to be their, their mod. Uh, but I think, you know, because Team Titans is a fun thing to explore too, right? Like, I mean, there there is something you can maneuver into that route that kind of keeps going into other because mm -hmm. justice league has been hit or miss but i think i still think teen titans is something that's sort of permeated and it's more because of teen titans go candidly because there's so many people that know that goofy cartoon which is so a total like postmodern interpretation of it you know just trying to be as silly as possible and i love teen titans go i think it's adorable it's so funny it's just a good time superheroes are allowed to be fun it's okay they don't always have to be so fucking dour all right so Half of what you and I text. You know what? I'm going to dial back. Three quarters of what you know what? I'm going to dial back. 95% of what you and I text on a weekly basis is Simpsons quotes. Simpsons totally. moments. You're watching something. I'm watching something. Neither of us are watching. And something just tips off in our brain because it's what we know, right? Mm -hmm. um, that being said, we were like, we if we're going to do this, we have to talk about the Simpsons. Totally. How do we start? Well, we had a we had a mutual friend. Just pick a random episode for us. We'll figure out how to do it moving forward. And I thought the episode choice was very interesting. We are mm -hmm. looking at season five's Bart Gets an Elephant. Um, you may think, well, what's the plot of that one? Good note, it's in the title. <laughs> I feel like we are getting a weird mid-tier episode in one of their best overall seasons. Mm -hmm. it's it's what did you think of the episode how long it had been since you watched it what what is your initial impressions of bark it's an elephant after all this time yeah it's probably been i uh, i at least seven eight years if not more that i'd seen it where we at least watched it all the way through you know there were certain parts of it that i found myself i could still requote there's like there's a couple that like requotables in this that i think hit all the time the sound of music pun doe a deer female deer i hit i not routinely but that that's one that i quote often like just it's uh I, one i very very much appreciated as we did it but yeah they i think rewatching one of the things i was really surprised is it uh the episode itself was pretty tight i don't know if like the story was super rich it was just he got an elephant and that was it like i, I feel like another we were building up to a storytelling dynamic where something insane would happen with that elephant. Like, I think I wrote that as my, there would have been cool stuff if like Homer would have taken the elephant and become a door-to-door -door salesman with it. Or, you know, there, there were there were branch off points, I think, with the elephant that they could have done that was more than just pay to see the elephant, which, I mean, I get why they were doing it. It was to pay for the cost, but there, I think there was more to explore there that, that, that they could have done with it. You hit a topic, you're part of talking about Homer and the dynamics that could have been there. This comes for me, I feel like, at a very interesting time in The Simpsons. Through season four, obviously, they're getting more. Every year as The Simpsons went on, they got weirder and more fantastical, right? This episode, despite having mm -hmm. Bart getting an elephant, which as a conceit is unique and weird and different, feels like one of those early season grounded episodes when it shouldn't be. And I could not find anything in early descriptions online of 
that was the intent, right? Like my thought was, was the intent to take a fantastical premise and make it as grounded as humanly possible. And I, I couldn't see it. And my thought was that would have been an interesting idea because what you're talking about to me is something that if this was season nine, 100% would have happened. Season nine Simpsons takes that elephant on a road tour and they see all these things and they do all this stuff. Mid season five, is how are we going to pay the bills? It's a different show by that point. Sure. And I, th I think they were still, I think, feeling the... Because were they on Thursdays still at that point? Or had they gone to... Were they still Sundays? I I, I don't remember when the dynamic Yeah, I believe changed. they were still Thursdays. Those, okay. I believe it was still Thursdays, but keep going. I'm going to look it up right now. Because I think that... I'm sure that plays into it because it's your, your... They're competing directly, obviously, with the Cosby show at that point. So it's the the dynamic of just... pulling in the family aspect of it, tugging at the heartstrings. And there there's a lot of that with, with Bart and Stampy that is really that kind of almost man's best friend or something. I mean, shoving Santa's little... I mean, they joke about it with the, uh, yep. the pets trying to do things, but really there's some there's some tenderness to it they joke about it because he tries to eat them but like i mean they're the, the talking in and, and the stuff like that there are some some nice mm -hmm. moments between bart and stampy that actually feel kind of you know heartfelt or family oriented and, and, and that kind of stuff okay so i actually according to this it was not it was uh no longer on sundays at that point so although hang on no this fucking message board i picked up <laughs> is way off and it was quoting Wikipedia. Like, it's putting dates out that I know were wrong. Right. That I know are wildly wrong. So, when is the last season? By the way, this podcast is now me Googling things and going to Wikipedia. <laughs> this is the whole concept of the show now. Amazing. Okay. So, no, it was it was on Thursdays at this point. Okay. Um, correct. It was on this Yes. So I'd be it curious. Was when did, not when did it much air? longer for Thursdays, but it was. Uh, let's take a look. Bart gets an elephant. Again, this whole show is just me looking things up. <laughs> it's going to be fine. It is the 17th episode of season five. It aired March 31st, 1994, which based on the cursory Googling is the last season they were on Thursdays and they moved to Sundays, I believe, with season six moving forward and they've been there like ever since. They were on season, they were on Thursdays for like three to four years and the Cosby show went off the air and they moved to Sundays. Thinking about line readings, sure. I think the loudest laugh I had in the episode is because it uses one of my favorite Homer tropes, which is being a good dad, using the polite dad, kind, I'm teaching you voice, but is always saying something terrible, where it's, uh, this time it's, well, push her down, son. Just knock Marge over. Get out of there. It's the line when, dad, mom's in the way. Well, push her down, son. Like, just matter of fact. I love matter of fact, a good dad home, when he's really usually saying just something terrible. That line gets me every time. Uh, thinking about yeah. other notes. That's tremendous just because at, as I was taking notes, like I I have in quotes, push her down time is one of my just stream of consciousness it's notes. That's amazing. such a good one. Um, I didn't remember this line, but I thought that line sums me up. Stop thinking about old TV and get back to work. Uh, oh, there it is. That's, a, that's me. <laughs> uh, little things that I want to talk about, some notes and trivia. This is something that struck me. We're talking about the era of how they're still kind of grounded but getting goofier and they would only get goofier as the years go on. 
is this episode the goofy version of the episode with Lisa's horse? Is it the same episode, but the weird, funny version? Because Lisa's horse episode has less, but it's not. It's an emotional, almost dramedy episode with the amount of work Homer's putting in and the torment Lisa feels over what Homer's doing for her. Like, is this the goofy episode of Lisa? Is this Lisa's horse, but goofier? I think so, because it even falls into the line of how Bart kind of comes into things, right? Like, Lisa is the studious, hardworking component of it. It is the smart one, has to work for everything. And so she gets this, and Homer feels bad because Lisa does as much as she can to. <laughs> and so he tries to work to get that. And Bart just falls backwards into this by answering, answering the phone, you know, like, and and, <laughs> and then getting the option of $10,000, which any, you know, 99.9% people would take versus an elephant. He decides to take an elephant. Do you feel, when you look at season five to six, do you feel the change in tone in approach from the earlier years, or is it not there for you yet? Does it still feel like the same show at this point that it was when it started? Yeah. Not when it started. I would say when they found their foot. I, I think you start to see the, I, one of the things I've always, and this is, I'm not unique in, in this regard, but one of the things I always loved about The Simpsons is just the kind of, silly but not silly like something in a very serious or normal situation and a reaction is just it, it comes out of left field that makes it really entertaining to me it's very funny to me I, I i love the part where the kids come to the door they want to see the elephant and he gets this great idea next thing is behind him banging down the sign and the sign says go away like little like hinges like that are just are grand to me like i i love that because it's and I don't. We never saw as many of those in the first couple seasons. We're starting to see those tinges of these. We're gonna flip it on its head a little bit. I really like those visual, it, whether a visual or just like voice gags. There, there is a YouTube channel uh, called The Real Gyms. They are amazing. I believe I shared you their videos before. They do those Simpson histories mm -hmm. and deep dives. They have a term. I don't know if they created the term. I'm gonna give them full credit for it that I used already once. Screw the audience, gags. Not that you're insulting them, it's that the audience is anticipating the joke is going one way, and then it goes the other way. And I wrote down in a subsection of that, aside from the dumpster, the sign is great, and the line is, wait, that gives me an idea. Smash, smash, <laughs> smash, sign, go away. Like, oh, God, it's so perfect. All right. Other little bits uh, of notes I want to make. Uh, one... When Marge says, throw away those old calendars and TV guides, toss the calendars. But in this collector's culture that we're in now, you could sell those TV guides. Keep those TV guides over. You would sell those on eBay. Somebody would buy your old TV guides. <laughs> you don't know. Marge, you don't know the money you just cost this family by telling him to throw away those TV guides. That's um, very true. Do you know, if I were to tell you that this was a John Schwartzwelder episode, would that mean anything to you? It would, yeah, and it doesn't surprise me at all because it's just the, the brilliance of his story weaving and yeah, abs absurd, obscure. You can there's a new like so many different adjectives to describe his jokes that play completely. I'm sure to me and you because it's just I it, it, the more obscure and weird the better. I, I love it. If something strange that yes. has just and if it's only one percent of a thread that links the whole thing, I'm all in. And for the uninitiated, he is one of the most prolific writers of The Simpsons. Also, and I say this without putting our politics out there, uh, he is, although the way I'm, I was about to say it would give my politics away immediately, uh, he <laughs> is a notorious Republican, which as soon as I saw the Clinton joke in this, I went, 
I bet this is a Schwarzwalder episode because I hadn't looked at the credits. I didn't pay attention when they were on. And I looked it up and I went, yeah, it's a Schwarzwalder episode. So there you go. And that being said, hilarious writer. Great stuff. I just instantly knew. Oh, there it is. Um, if I was to tell you one of the most famous side characters of all time on The Simpsons debuted in this episode, do you know who it is? Who debuted in this episode? I looked it up because I, I was curious. Oh, so you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did in my running notes because I, I, I likewise took notes and I said, is this the first appearance of Cletus' Slack Judd Yokel? And, uh, and I'm guessing that's who you're referencing. So, Yes. And he didn't have a name yet. He was just Slack Judd Yokel. But yes. <laughs> also, listen, I shouldn't yell at you. I appreciate you doing any kind of note-taking and research. I did as well. <laughs> I was convinced that I would come into this whole experiment of us trying to record this together, like with this page of notes, and I'd start to read something, and you'd be like, shut up, nerd. What are you doing? You're taking, you're doing your homework, loser? I'm just here to talk. I'm glad that what this also, what this says to me is that are we friends? Because... My knee-jerk reaction of how you're going to treat me in this thing you agreed to do is to make fun of me and bully me. Like, I'm going to treat you like you're a high school jock. You're like, hey, you want to talk about movies and pop culture and TV? And you're like, yes, of course. Well, in my mind, it's like he's going to show up and be like, nerd. Uh, okay, so a couple of things. Bart only eating the chocolate and the Neapolitan ice cream, was it? Was that a specific thing or was that just it? That's what Bart was doing? For I don't know if you noticed that. I always took that as just he's a kid who only wants chocolate. And when the chocolate's gone, they're out of ice cream. The newspaper headline, radio station cheats straight-A student. I mean, is that just sensationalistic journalism? Was there a gag that I missed completely about that for Bart? I mean... I don't remember that newspaper headline, which I'm sure upsets a writer somewhere who wrote John Schwartzwalder. What am I thinking? He doesn't care about me. Uh, they work so hard on those headlines <laughs> that you barely see. I, I clearly... Uh, <laughs> I, I had to have been sensationalism, right? I didn't look at it. I guess I didn't prepare. I went back and paused it just to make sure, and there, there's nothing else except for radio station but aren't they trying to student. Take... And I'm just, I'm like, I, is this just that's to get everyone else against that's, the radio that's station my to force reaction, their hand? But now we'll follow up on this next time. I'll listen to the Strokes album. I'll watch Bart Gets an Elephant a second time just for this gag. And then instead of watching a new episode, I'll make you discuss <laughs> this episode again. Welcome to our weekly segment, Bart Gets an Elephant Talk. <laughs> where we talk about the same episode of The Simpsons every week, forever. <laughs> if you were to rank this among... Hang on, I'm going to bring up a list for you. Season 5 Simpsons episodes. I don't know if you looked up the episode list of Season 5 at any point. But I want to read to you some of the other episodes that are in this all-time banger of a season, frankly. So, you have Homer's Barbershop Quartet. You have Cape Fear. You have Rosebud. You have Homer Goes to College. You have, uh, to me, these are all all-timers. Marge, Marge on the Lamb, uh, Boy Scouts in the Hood, The Last Temptation of Homer, Springfield, the gambling episode. Uh, Bark is Famous, Homer versus, or sorry, Homer and Apu, Deep Space Homer, uh, Burns is Air. These are all-timers, right? There's a handful of other episodes, but knowing that, does this episode crack the top 10 when there's 22 episodes in the season, or is it going to be in the bottom? 
Yeah, this is the bottom. I, it, it's just, and then through no fault of its own. I, I mean, it's a, it's a good, solid episode. It, it's entertaining. It has some stuff that made me laugh out loud. But this is, I mean, it's murderous row. This is, it, un, I, I'm looking at it too here on the, on yes. the my computer on the side. It's un, uh, this is un, unassailable, unbelievable. Yep. Like just, there are 10, I mean, 10 that are in the top 20 all time, in my opinion, and just in this season. So it's just, yes. it's, uh, so, I think, I think, I think it's in that, damn. you know, I, I, I would say that. Looking at this list, I want to put where I would put, I can't do a season ranking list, but if I'm looking at this list, it is very near the bottom. The only ones that I would rank beneath it, and these are not bad episodes, I would note. In this season, I don't see a bad mm. episode. But if we have to rank, I would put Lady Bouvier's Lover underneath this, the one where Grandpa and Marge's mom start dating. That one goes underneath this one <laughs> to me, uh, to, uh, to each their own. And then I have never been in love with Homer Loves Flanders. It would be interesting to see it, you know, compared in like season two or season three, you know, if it shows up in one of those where, where would, I, I think it would rank a lot higher, but yeah, it just, this, this is unbelievable. I, looking back right. at it, this is unbelievable. This is just such a it's good It's crazy to look at like season three through season eight is just all timers. But with that, I feel, I don't know if I'll do this wrap up every week. After this, this nice conversation. I'm leaving this knowing you better than I came into this. Oh, and, you know, cool. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> you know, I'm not very positive about it, you fuck. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll hopefully, we'll, we'll talk next week. And then eventually when I find someone else to talk to, I'll replace you. And yeah. it'll be really nice. Well, we'll start recruiting people, you know, and then we just boot, <laughs> boot people off. You know, it just, it's, it, it becomes, I become obsolete and, you know, story of my life. Yeah, no. My goal, yes, my goal is to use you and lose you, which is just, you know, really who I am as a person. I mean, if I had a user. nickel every time I heard that, you know. And so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, buddy, it's been a pleasure. It genuinely has. And uh, we'll, we'll see you all next week, hopefully.